Chris Nickich was up at around 4 in the morning on November 7th. As a nation awaited the results of a presidential election, the 21-year-old was waiting to make history of his own. He would be the first person with Down syndrome to even attempt an Ironman event. Completing it would be a dream come true. Just before 6 in the morning, Chris jumped into the Gulf of Mexico for the first leg of the Ironman, a 2.4-mile swim in what I have to think was at least uncomfortably cold water. After nearly two hours of swimming, he departed the water and embarked on 112 miles of biking that included a spill that roughed up his knee. Chris forged ahead. He finished that part in just over eight hours. Starting a marathon, he would need to be just about perfect on to complete in time. 17 hours is all any Ironman gets. Chris completed his with time to spare. Chris Nickich is indeed an Ironman. His father, Nick, said after the event, This race was more than just a finish line in celebration of victory. Iron Man has served as his platform to become one step closer to his goal of living a life of inclusion, normalcy, and leadership. It's about being an example to other kids and families that face similar barriers, proving no dream or goal is too high. I was fortunate enough to chat with Chris, his father, Nick, and coach Dan Grebe about a week before history was made. It's a wonderful conversation and an eye-opening one. Chris's story is inspiring and should absolutely change the way you think about something as profound as inclusion. We start with Coach Dan Grebe, the man who was there every step of the way on Saturday. This is a crazy insane thing for a human to do period the iron man challenge it's really daunting um what are some of the challenges that people face and you know chris specifically what are the challenges that he faces all right well great question so i'm gonna answer your question broadly and then i'll answer it kind of more narrow for chris okay that's dan grebe chris's coach and someone who has the distinction of completing 10 iron man competitions in two years he's a mentor motivator and honorary part of the nickage family so the first question that people with disabilities have when it comes into an Ironman event is low expectations. You know, Chris has been told his whole life he wouldn't amount to much. His parents were told he wouldn't accomplish much. So therefore, the expectation is that he won't do much. And if he doesn't do much, then it's right in order. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's uh, what most disabled athletes struggle from. And with me, I have a year of experience. I've only even known somebody with Down syndrome from a year. Chris is the first person I've ever met and at any level of intimate relationship with. So, um, so I speak with the education level of a one-year person. When you speak to Nick, you'll, you'll have a 21-year education level uh, when it comes to it. When it comes to Chris particularly, you know, this race has never been done by someone with special needs at all. Um, it's never been done by somebody with, uh, with Down syndrome. And so the biggest problem we have with Chris right now is there is no manual. There's no model for us to look at and say, well, this is how we handled this problem or this is how we negotiated this roadblock as they came up because we're the first ones. It, um, you get to make history, uh, but you have to climb a mountain very, very, very uh, unprepared and alone. And I know you said, you know, there's, there's no manual. Um, have you guys talked beforehand or do you have an idea of like the day of – saying, hey, if, if we see this, then it's time to say, oh, you know what, you know, this was, we gave it a good shot kind of thing. Or is there any kind of protocols going forward of, of 
you know, I'm sure, you know, other athletes do the same thing where they're like, you know, I don't know what my body's going to tell me at the time. Um, is there anything in Chris's way, um, day of, um, that you guys are going to be looking for? Um, obviously, you know, we're going to look at overheating, exhaustion, things like that. Um, but it's not a conversation we have very often because he's so well prepared that, mm. that it really don't, we don't see that as showing up. The biggest concern I have is more of uh, his cognitive ability. Uh, how is he going to react when he hits what we call the wall? There are, of course, concerns heading into the event. Any athlete has to wade between the physical and mental exertion. As Chris's coach explains, the one big worry is that mental wall that faces every competitor. Right, 20 miles uh, of running. You know, in the marathon at the end, he's 15, 15 hours in, he's got six miles to go. How will we react then when it's, you know, literally dark, there's no one out there. Um, he's been awake since 5 a.m., uh, actually four o'clock in the morning. You know, those are the type of things that, you know, we got to look at right now. Um, in terms of his physical ability, he has the physical ability. Um, and because I, I, I was going to get to that too, is what has um, surprised you during training? Because I've read, I read some other interviews about just like Chris just dominating right now, you know. Um, what has surprised you about Chris, the athlete? Yeah, great question. I'll, I'll tell you, number one is uh, Chris has surprised me at every evolution that we have challenged him on uh, when it came to the next level of, uh, of training, going from 13-mile run to a 20-mile run, he surprised us. Swimming in choppy water, he surprised me. You know, riding a bicycle 100 miles, he surprised me. And it's all largely because my expectations for him are low. Um, I, say, I would like to say I don't have low expectations for him because I believe he can do it all. However, there's this programming that I've received um, you know, through a lifetime of people with disabilities are not capable of doing what you and I are. So therefore, it surprises you. Um, I, I no longer am that surprised by what Chris can do because I recognize what Chris is. He's not a person. He's not like this malfunctioning robot. Mm -hmm. He's a human being that has goals and dreams just like you do, who wants to love and be loved. He wants to give the best of himself away and he wants to to make it he wants to make the road easier for everyone else that's just like him that follows behind him chris is dedicated to getting better one percent every day a philosophy ingrained in him by his father nick every mountain is conquered by a single step even an iron man begins with a single push-up Right. Well, Chris is going to be doing a timed event. He has 17 hours to complete this this event. If he does complete it in 17 hours, then he is crowned Iron Man, and he will own that title for a lifetime. If he completes it in 17 hours and one minute, he they shut the lights off and say, "Sorry, not today's not your day." Uh, that's that is the hard and fast. Iron Man has made that very clear to us. He's got to do just like everyone else does, and you know what? He deserves the opportunity to do it. An Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim. He'll doing this, be doing this one in the Gulf of Mexico because he's doing it in Panama City Beach. It is, uh, it is literally ocean swimming. So there will be waves, there will be crosswinds, there will be the sun rising as we head out in the morning. There, there will be other 2,000 other swimmers out there that could conceivably swim over him, grab his leg, pull him away from me, all of that. He'll be tethered to me. So, um, so I'll, I'll, 
be able to keep him connected. After the swim, he'll do a 112-mile bicycle ride. Uh, some of that will be into a headwind, so that will be challenging. And then after that, he will do a 26-mile run, which is a full marathon, 26.2 miles. And uh, he has to do it all before the clock strikes midnight, and that is 17 hours. Um, for Chris's preparation is largely like others. However, he was prepared differently. He's got an amazing father that has taught him a system, which is right here on my shirt, but it's called 1% Better. And he's taught him that you don't have to go from zero to 100 like I attempt to do <laughs> and get injured along the way or cap out at a certain milestone. Um, he teaches him to just incrementally get better, better, and he's getting better so slowly that he actually feels like he's actually uh, losing, not winning. But that time, that um, time on task over time generates this geometric curve of progression, which Chris is on right now, where all of a sudden Chris is just growing exponentially um, every day. Uh, and he's not getting injured, and he's still having fun, and he's not feeling burned out, and he's not feeling overwhelmed because he's not taking it all on so fast. When you're training to endure 17 hours of exertion, training is a full-time job. On a light week, Chris is putting in about 25 hours. On a full week, he's putting in as many hours as you do at work, swimming, running, and biking for 40 hours a week. Um, so we do that, and, and here's what a, a typical week looks like. On Monday, Chris will typically do a swim uh, and a bike ride, and that he'll spend about four hours uh, swimming and biking, um, swimming and running, excuse me. On Tuesdays, he'll bike and run. That'll be another four hours, roughly. He'll, he might mix in some strength, so that could be, you know, five hours, six hours. Wednesday, he'll swim again. Thursdays, he'll bike and run again, four hours to six hours there on the weekends. Right now, he's biking on average eight hours, um, and he's running eight hours. So in any given week, he could be exercising on a short week, 25 hours, on a heavy week, up to 40. Now, the reason why he's exercising a little bit more uh, time than others is because he doesn't have the ability to bike as fast as everyone else quite yet, um, because he has to get off every, you know, he has issues with balance, so he can't take his hands off his steering wheel to, to, to take nutrition or drink. So we have to physically stand him down and give him water and nutrition. And that naturally takes longer. Mm -hmm. um, he's learning a better cadence when it comes to running and he's starting to get into consistent 13, 12 minute mile paces. However, in no time, he'll be at 10 minute mile paces over a course of a marathon. He'll get faster. And therefore his training won't take so long because he'll be able to accomplish his necessary training over that time. And I guess there's naturally a, a, for an athlete, a crescendo, you know, you want to get at that money spot right when you're going to go to competition. Um, where's Chris at, you know, is he, is he at that part where you're like, this is he's at that perfect point right now? Yeah. Yeah. Chris is there. He's mentally prepared. He's physically prepared. He's done everything he needs to. Um, I feel hundred percent confident that, that he can complete this physically. Um, He's actually just entered into, starting today, uh, a phase of this training that's called tapering. Uh, we go through what's called a build-up phase, and we build up to the race. We polish it off the last week, which is what we did last week, and now he's tapering down, and he's just keeping his uh, cardiac thresholds up. He's keeping his body moving, his blood flowing, and uh, he's doing great. So Chris is going to do fantastic.
Ever since I started out, people have been asking me for advice on all kinds of things. But in covering sports, it's usually about who's going to win and what team they should bet on. You got the Patriots or 49ers this week, Bucks or Raiders. Well, the best piece of advice I can give to anyone is where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. It's why I always tell people to visit my bookie. They've got deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prize contests for you to take advantage of all season long. NFL action? Check. College ball? Check. Plus, they have a mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. MyBookie offers action on everything from championship futures to NFL in-game live betting, making sure you're covered every step of the way. And congrats if you're one of the ones to cash in on the generous early season odds on the Lakers to win the NBA championship. Sign up at MyBookie today. And when you do, use our promo code FUEGO to claim a halfway match on your deposit. If you put in $200, they'll spot you another $100 to play with. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code FUEGO. That's FUEGO. F-U-E-G-O. So you can claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more await you. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Chris is certainly differently abled, but as his coach explains, that also means he has superpowers that many of us do not share. Tell me a little bit when you first met, you know, Chris, you know, how, how, how did that, you know, happen, come about? Um, and then, you know, how your relationship is now, you know, um, all that time later. Yeah. Great questions. Um, well, first things first is, you know, I, I started my Ironman journey, like a lot of people do with a desire to lose weight. I, I did that four mm-hmm. years ago. I was 310 pounds. I wanted to uh, lose 100, 110, 120 pounds, get down to about 200 pounds. So I asked myself, what's the, the hardest thing I could do to not only accomplish it, but to maintain it? And it was an Ironman. Um, and I asked, what does most people do? And they said, most people do an Ironman in two years. I said, great, I'm going to do 10 Ironman in two years. And so I set the goal to do that. And I ended up completing uh Right there, I see that wall right there. There they are. Uh, 10 Ironmen all over the world from New Zealand, Mexico, Dubai. Um, and I went out and just, just did it, lost the weight and accomplished it. I, I found myself accomplishing my goal, but feeling like I was a little empty still. And I knew that what I needed to do was help someone else accomplish what I did, which was earn the title of Ironman. A, a title that once you've earned it, you get it for a lifetime. No one can take it away from you. And so I started thinking who I could help do that. And at the time, the only people that had ever done that were, were blind athletes or incapacitated athletes. So I started looking for a blind athlete and I struggled to find one. And I started to think that it was not going to happen. And one day, Chris and his dad walked into uh, the club that I'm one of the captains on the team and said he was looking for a guide to help him on a journey to an Olympic triathlon. And I, I said, this might be my chance. And such has started, you know, a beautiful friendship. Uh, over the course of the last year, I've learned how to get 1% better um, as an athlete, as a father, as a human being, as a business leader. Um, I've been adopted into the Nickage family. I've learned to speak the Nickage language, which is a n- unique language. I've learned how to speak Down syndrome, which is a, a unique language as well. Um, and I've earned the title of Uncle Dan. 
Um, I believe that I'm the closest person in Chris's life that doesn't share the same last name to him. And it's an honor um, that I proudly have and one of the greatest accomplishments uh, as a person I've received. Because you know that if you had a child who, had, you know, maybe has some special needs as much as you would say, you know, I want my, I want my child to have a normal life, you still have maybe a little bit of protection underneath you. And when one man says, I'm going to take, you know, my, my son, my prized possession, and I'm going to hand him over to you, and I trust that you will keep him safe, that you will teach him the ways of the world, that you will make his life better as a result of, of, of your involvement. It's a, it's a tremendous honor, um, and one that I don't take lightly, and one that, um, that I hope more athletes like myself get an opportunity to experience, because it's, uh, it's not only the honor of a lifetime, but it makes you have to live up to that. And I'll end with this. You know, Chris has, a, has some disabilities, but he also has a bunch of superpowers. One of his disabilities is Chris doesn't know how to judge people. Like his parents were ineffective in teaching him how to judge people. And for some reason, when Adam and Eve sinned, they forgot to give those, sin, those sins to people with Down syndrome. So Chris looks at you and expects that you do what you say you're going to do. And if you say, Chris, I will call you, or Chris, we're going to go out and do this, and then there's a hurricane, he says, but you said we were going to go surfing. Like, Chris, there's a hurricane, but you said we were going to go surfing. And he looks at you with this genuineness to like, but that's what you said. Like, your word matters. You matter to me. Like, what you say matters. How can you let me down? Well, think of who I am as a businessman as a result of that. Think of who I am as a father as a result of that. So you don't get to, you don't get to um, be changed in an area of your life and it not bleed over into the other areas of your life. So for me, I'm hoping other athletes um, like myself, other people decide to get a little bit uncomfortable and, uh, and, and, and take a step into a different world. And when they do, they'll be grateful that they have. That's fantastic, Dan. Thank you uh, so much for your time, for, for all your work and everything. And, and very excited to, to see how it all unfolds and everything. And, and this is just a fantastic story. So I, I thank you. Well, it's my honor. And uh, I just want to thank you for, for number one, picking up the story and being willing to write it for Chris and his family. There's some great things you're about to hear from them. But here's the one thing I want to leave you with. And we tell this to all the people that we talk to. You know, you're not documenting the story. That young man right there is so honored to be part of this. And he's been practicing to speak to you. So you're not documenting a story, Gabriel, you're part of the story. So just remember when he crosses that finish line, when he does great things in the future, when he breaks open the doors for Down syndrome, you're part of it. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate your time. God bless you. Nick, I'm going to jump because I'm going to spend time with Mindy. I got my questions out early. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. See you soon. See you guys. Bye, Chris. Chris is certainly differently abled, but as his coach explains, that also means he has superpowers that many of us do not share. What will it mean to you to, to compete in the Ironman? To me, it is just life a big part. Everybody is making a big deal, so it sounds fun. A lot of people are sending me messages about how it is helping them. It makes me feel good to others. It's amazing how many messages he's getting through social media 
uh, from parents like me who have kids with special needs. And he reads them all every day and responds to them. And he, he you know, again, he's, he doesn't understand this big deal everybody's making, <laughs> but uh, he's having fun and, and he's seeing that he's motivating people. And my next question is, you know, I love the idea of the, the 1% better each day. Um, how has that motivated you each time you wake up in the morning? 1% better is about me being better today than I was yesterday. I started with one lap swim, one lap bike, and one lap run. Now I am up to 100 each. <coughs> Now, it is a habit, so I don't need to be more fed, understood. It all starts with one lap, and that turns into a hundred. Now, as Chris says, it becomes a habit, and on November 7th, he will be an Ironman. One percent better means one more today, one more tomorrow, so by November 7th, I will be an Ironman. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure you'll be an Ironman? You're it's apparent quite quickly that father and son have a special bond and love to tease one another. I, I, I can't, I can't mute your dad from over here. <laughs> Get out of here. That's right. You can't. <laughs> You're screwed. You're screwed. Um, I, I love that idea of, of making, you know, uh, the hard stuff, you know, a habit, you know, yeah. making success a habit is, is just fantastic. Um, I guess what has been the hardest part of the training, though? The hardest part is the bike because sitting for eight hours makes my hands look better. Yeah. It is yeah. also hard to train for eight hours at a time. You ever tried to sit on a, one of those bikes with those little seats for eight hours? Ten minutes is all I can do. <laughs> Once he gets to about 70 miles, the pain is just excruciating. So that's the hardest part for him. He just, you know, through the butt, through the hands, ex just extreme pain. And so he's been getting better at it, but that's still a problem. Well, I know Dan was saying you have to stop every so often too because of, of the balance as well and things like that. So, so yeah, I understand the biking can be quite arduous, quite, quite hard. Yeah. Very hard. And with him, he can't be like others who can lean over and, and rest on their arms and take some of the stress off of their back and their, their weight off of their butt. For him, uh, all of his weight is just on his backside and he's standing up straight. So one, he's fighting the wind resistance. So he, he can't go as fast because of the wind resistance. And two, he has a lot more pain because he has to stand straight up or sit straight up when he rides. Gotcha. Well, let's get to, I mean, the best part of the training then. What's been the, what's been the best part, though, the most fun? The best part of Ironman is training your friends. I was also excluded from Africa, so training... It's the best kind of inclusive. His favorite part of training is being around people, including the smoking hot blonde from Minnesota, a hilarious reference to his mom. Also, the hugs. Chris is simply an ambassador of hugs. I'm a good friend, so over the world. It's amazing how many friends he's made. You know, so on Saturday mornings, you know, when he wakes up to go do his 100-mile bike ride in the neighborhood, um, people just show up. You know, 5, 15 people show up, and they ride with him. 
And so now he's not excluded anymore. He's actually part of a club and people love to train with him and spend time with him. That's so, that's so fantastic. Um, and I can just visualize that coming together. Um, and I guess, you know, what, what would you like our readers to know about you as a person? I love people, I love hugs, and I love my life. Yes, you do. He loves people. He including just, my smoking hot blog. Including your smoking hot blog? From Minnesota. From Minnesota, okay. my mom. <laughs> He's just, he just loves people. So everybody who ever shows up around him, they get a big bear hug from him. So whether they like it or not, coronavirus or not, they're going to come with a mask and get ready for a hug. That's fantastic. This is, this is the year where everyone misses our hugs. So that's... Oh, my God. That's 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 great that you know have a, an ambassador of hugs there. So that's that's fantastic. Um, and after the Iron Man, um, what's next? What's the next goal you have? I want to get married. I'm not ready anymore. You're not waiting anymore. I want to <laughs> my business begin with my wife. <laughs> next year, I want to do. I'm in Hawaii and in 2022. I want to do the USA Games in Orlando. And in 2023, I want to do the World Games in Germany. That's it? Yeah. Alas, Chris is tired of waiting and wants to settle down. As to what's next, it's marriage in Ironman Hawaii, the USA Games, and the World Games in Germany. You know, no big whoop. I'm looking forward to Hawaii whenever I can get there, too. So, yeah. (laughs) Um... And, you know, you're the first person with Down syndrome to, to ever even just sign up for the event. Um, it, it looks like I read that somewhere. And what does the very nature of the event, the fact that you have this goal, what does that mean to you? Don't get me wrong. I'm not Bill Tensor. No, you don't. But the first, <laughs> it means I can do anything, but it also means others like me can do too. And others like me can big dreams and goals. It would also mean that we can live a life of inclusion. And that's really the most important thing, living a life of inclusion and having our kids be part of the community. Fantastic. Um, and then, you know, Special Olympics, the, the, the Special Olympics triathlon that happened last October, you had the half Ironman in May. I mean, you've already accomplished so much. Um, what did those feel like, you know, accomplishing those monumental tasks before this one? I don't remember what it felt like, but I remember the hugs, the parties, and the friends. Yeah. I love the people, the hugs, and the fun. Yeah, that's all you remember is the people and the hugs and the parties. And the smoking hot blondes. And the smoking hot blondes will give you hugs? Yep. Okay. Want to dance with me? Did they want to dance with me? Have you... dinner with me. But tell me, show them how you like to dance. No. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, for me, I always remember the good stuff, you know, that keeps you going to the, to the next, to the, through the hard stuff is remembering all those hugs and the parties for sure. Um, that's all he cares about. That's all life is, man. <laughs> um, training has made you stronger, you know, not, not just with muscles and all that kind of stuff, um, but, you know, able to command an audience, you know, public speaking, um, people looking to you for public speeches. Um, how has that been? People being a public speaker and people looking to you for inspiration. Because I know people and I know to talk. I learned I could do speech. I did a six minute speech in front of 1,000 people and I learned it. Speaking makes me happy because I get a lot of hugs. 
around to me. I'm okay, so speaking from others like me. As Chris says, he loves people and absolutely loves to talk, so it's natural that he would become a public speaker. That included a six-minute speech in front of a thousand people recently. Speaking, as he says, makes him happy. Should have seen him when he did his first speech. He just lit up. Oh my gosh, a thousand people, standing ovation, a line of huggers. This was before Corona, and he just fell in love. And so he started practicing, and he started getting more and more speeches, and he just... It's like he was meant for the stage. It took him a little while to learn the speech and to be able to deliver it. But man, does he love doing it. That's fantastic. Um, and, and the last question I, I have for you, Chris, is what has training taught you? Well, you know, this whole, this whole thing, what has it taught you? I learned that I am really to work hard and get off the same pants every day. So it is possible. I also learned that I can Yes, you can. The various hurdles that Chris had to get over were challenging, but if anyone can prove the limitations don't define you, it's Chris. There are a few words to describe Chris, pure, present, and wonderfully infectious. For dad, what kind of person is Chris? Chris is just um, pure joy. If you, when you meet him, um, the one thing that stands out is just he's always happy. Uh, he lights up a room. When you're around him, it's hard to be sad. It's hard to be angry. It's hard to be anything other than, uh, you know, being like him. You know, he's contagious. Um, he's smiling, he's, he'll give everybody hugs and he just makes us all feel better about ourselves. Um, he's pure. He lives in the moment. Um, to him, it's not about tomorrow. It's not about yesterday. Uh, it's about right now and it's about having fun, uh, and just being part of something. Um, and, and, you know, he just, he just wants to be part of the community. He just, he thrives from people paying attention to him and wanting to talk to him and making him feel like he's uh, important to them. And the thing we've gotten from the people in the tri club and the people who've been helping him is they're willing to pick up the phone when he calls them at night because he calls all of them to talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes. And uh, he just loves the joy of talking to them and telling them stories about his day uh, and just connecting with them. So uh, just in terms of, of, of just pure, he doesn't have any filters. He doesn't judge people. He's just happy. He's what you see is what you get. And uh, he's just having the time of his life uh, with the people who are including them in their life. That's fantastic. Um, and what challenges does he face in this particular Ironman undertaking? Um, and, and also, you know, what are the things that, that are going to bring him joy during this race? I know Dan touched upon a lot of that, you know, as far as sure. the bike riding and things like that. Um, and not really having kind of a blueprint because it just has never been done. but what are the challenges that you're looking for that day? Um, and then what are the parts where you're like, you know what, he's going to, that, that's going to be the, the part of the race where it's going to be fantastic. You know, there's ups and downs for everyone. Sure. So the biggest challenges are he's never done it. So it's, it's an unknown. So that's the biggest challenge. There's going to be 2000 people plus fans, plus three groups of media following him. Uh, so it's how he's going to respond to that. Right. That's an unknown. Um, 
the ultimate uh, pain that's going to come at some point that he's been training himself to eliminate the fake pain from his head, how he handles that, that's an unknown. Um, and then, of course, the conditions. Uh, what's the water going to be like? Uh, how choppy, how difficult is going to be, and how he handles that, uh, and just the whole combination. So those are some of the challenges. And, of course, you know, he's going to experience a lot of pain in the bike, you know, about mile 70, 80. And so he's got to get through about 20 or 30 more miles of that. And then he's got to do a marathon, right? 26.2 miles. He's going to hit a point at about mile 15, mile 16, 17, where, you know, he's going to be done. And he's got to um, uh, challenge himself mentally to fight through everything, all the dark demons that show up at that point in time. Uh, and, he, and those are all the challenges he's going to have to deal with in order to become crowned an Ironman. Now, well, the second part of your question was um, more about what he's going to enjoy and kind of what he's going to do what's going to happen. Uh, Chris is going to be looking for hugs everywhere. When he's in pain, he looks for hugs. When he's happy, he looks for hugs. When, when he needs a rest, he looks for hugs. Uh, and so there'll be lots of people who know who Chris is, and, and he's going to be looking for, other than us, he's going to be looking for other people. So the joy to him is meeting people. Uh, and, and getting more hugs and, and just getting connected to people. So that's going to be the most fun for him is, is the connection he's going to make with a lot of people who have been following him on social media, who are other Ironmans that are going to encourage him. And, and that's where he gets the most joy from this. That's great. Regardless of, of outcome, it's just an inspiration to, to, to everyone that's going to be there. It's just so fantastic to hear. Um, what challenges, you know, I've read up a little bit about this, but if you can explain to us, you know, what, what uh, things did he face growing up? I know there was, you know, um, heart things going on and just a wealth of things that he had to face, you know, before, you know, the age of 21. Sure. It started with uh, open heart surgery at the age of five months. Hmm. Um, then uh, from there it was, um, you know, he couldn't walk till he was almost four, right? Because kids with Down syndrome have really low muscle tone. So, they don't have the ability to build muscle and support themselves. It, it takes a lot of work. You're starting uh, with little to no muscle and then it takes forever to build any tone. So you have that challenge and the muscle tone extends itself to the way you eat. Like he couldn't eat food till he was five. Um, and so now you don't have the muscle tone or the energy to do anything. So your development is delayed. And then intellectually, uh, all kinds of delays as well. You can't talk because the tongue doesn't work right. And so you got to deal with that. So he's had to go through all kinds of therapies. My wife would take him, you know, sometimes twice a day. He'd have therapy every day, both at home and with therapists. So that was challenging. Uh, and then, of course, you, you don't learn as fast. And so when you don't learn as fast, stuff goes in one year and out the other. And so there's nothing that sticks there. So teaching him and having him learn things was really, really difficult. Uh, he would read something and he wouldn't know what he read. Um, and so when you try to teach him skills of any kind, they're difficult to teach because he has a physical, uh, limitation, but he also has a cognitive limitation. So everything is hard. And then eventually he gets tired of trying because it's not working and we get tired of trying because it's not working. Uh, and those challenges were very, very, um, evident throughout his whole life. And, and it's, it's really, it really prevented him from achieving very much throughout it. And it wasn't until the last year, year and a half where we learn some things that we never knew that has changed his life completely. And if you don't mind me asking, what were those kinds of things? So we learned that he has a different learning curve uh, than everybody else. Um, by that, I mean, if you think about a typical child, when you teach them something, they learn very rapidly. 
uh, right? Uh, my daughter learned how to walk at nine months, mm -hmm. right? He learned to walk when he was four. Mm -hmm. uh, so extend that principle to everything. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten all day. Of course. He's gonna of, course. A bite. of course. <laughs> and you can come back, buddy, when you get your food. Yeah. Um, and so extend that principle to everything. So, for instance, um, we taught him how to ride a bike uh, only recently. Well, your typical child, when they're three or four or five, will learn how to ride a bike, and they'll hold it a few times, and they're off and riding, right? Well, it took six months of holding him over and over and over again for him to learn to ride a bike. So what happens when your learning curve is that slow? Uh, what you tend to believe is that he can't learn and he'll never get to the point where he can actually do something. So most parents with kids with Down syndrome never teach their kids to ride a bike because they think it's impossible. And they never teach them things in life because they think they're impossible. What we learned with Chris was um, that he can learn, but it takes a long time. So think of a typical child. They, you start to teach them and their, their learning curve goes up at a nice incline, right? And then we all reach our potential and we start to, to kind of balance out, right? And, and then we continue maybe improving a little bit at a time, but we end up going almost on a flat curve once we hit a certain level. And so his was, was flat for almost two years, relatively flat. And by, by flat, I mean, you know, the rate he was improving was so slow compared to the typical child that it looked like he was never gonna get anywhere. Then about two years into it, what happened was, all the foundational things we built started to give him a foundation where all of a sudden his curve went this way. And then he actually surpassed a lot of the other, all the other athletes, in fact, because he was last in the Special Olympics a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, because none of the other athletes had Down syndrome. They were physically more able. Well, there was a, a point where in the last year where his curve started to go straight up and he surpassed everybody and he went way beyond them. So they're still like this. And he's up here now, right? But if you'd ever looked at that curve, you thought he was never going to get anywhere near where these kids are. And so when we learned that, we said, huh, I wonder if this applies to other things. And we started seeing that even cognitively, it started to apply to things. So we started to now build over the next year or two, we're going to help him build his cognitive ability because we learned that once you build a foundation, he remembers more things. He, he can uh, connect stuff better. He's, now he's actually at a point where uh, you know he's he's still thinking and acting like a seven or nine year old, but the rate at which he's learning is accelerating, and I suspect two years from now, um, his cognitive ability you know is going to be just astronomical because of this curve. Because now we understand that we need to build a strong foundation, and then I honestly believe there's going to be a point in time cognitively where he's going to just accelerate like this, and he's going to experience some things that we never thought were possible. Now, he's never going to do what you and I can do cognitively because he's got a very low IQ, but we don't know what the potential of that low IQ is if we teach him correctly. So, so we've learned a lot about the learning curve, that it's very different, and we, we are now patient to get him through the learning curve. Nick Nickich owns a sales consulting firm, and he discovered early on that people don't like big sweeping changes. It's far more advantageous to incorporate minor changes. They become ingrained, habitual. He took that philosophy to his son, who has quickly become his best protege. Um, and it sounds like, and I could be wrong, but the 1% every day, um, was that something that you maybe subconsciously started from his day one? Because it sounds like 
you know, he can't eat, he can't walk from day, you know, when other kids would, but you know, that 1% or, or kind of, you know, teaching him from an early age, we'll do what we can today so that tomorrow's a little bit better. The next day's a little better. When did 1% start? So I actually own a sales consulting firm. Um, I help, you know, fairly large global companies uh, optimize their sales process. I designed the 1% for sales organizations because people tend to uh, change people, try to change behavior too fast and people don't like that. So I developed this concept of if you want to transform your sales organization, don't overwhelm them, go slow, be okay with seeing 1% progress slowly over time to create sustainable change, change and improvement. So I, I've developed that whole concept in the business world. And then I said, look, I'm going to try it on him. And so when I decided to start doing things with him the last two or three years where I wasn't as involved before, uh, I started teaching him the 1%. And, and I can honestly say he has been the best student of my entire career. That's, that's yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You know, it's, it's anything's daunting if you do it all at once. Listen to your experts. They know what they're doing. But sometimes a parent's hope is the only thing that matters. You know, you did say, I think in another interview that, you know, you took a lot of bad advice for people, whether it's you, can, you can't do this or can't do that. What has changed, um, in, you know, from 20 years ago um, that you know now, um, that other people know now? Um, I, I think you touched upon that, you know, about, you know, the learning curve and everything. Um, but as Chris specifically, you know, um, as a person, um, what has that, you know, family evolution been like? So we believed everything we were told, right? So that's the first problem. And so as much as we wanted to believe he could do more, in the back of our mind, uh, where all of the experts kept telling us he couldn't. And so we were, in our own brain, we were fighting the a device we were being given with the hope that we had. We had no knowledge that anything was possible. It was just hope. It was a parent's hope that he could do more. And so that hope kept us trying. It kept us going. Um, but we were being anchored down by all of the negative and, and all the perception of what he couldn't do. So there was a battle going on in our minds of what we were told he could do versus what our hope was for him. And it wasn't until we learned by accident and I was willing to pursue this 1% strategy with him to see what was possible. It wasn't until I gave it enough time with him and we <coughs> sustained it long enough for, it to see, to, for us to see it working and once we started to see it working like anything else, once we saw the results started to tick up, then the acceleration kicked in and, and it's just transformed how we are. So now um, the, all of the beliefs that we have that were given to us by all the experts are no longer valid because we've proven otherwise. And so now we're able to, uh, when we have conversations with people, is we're able, whether his coaches or whatever, we're able to say, look, you know, I know what you think because Everything you know is about a typical person. I don't blame you for your advice. I don't blame you for what you're saying. Uh, you're just coming from a perspective that only your only experience is with a typical person, someone who's got a, a, a doesn't have an intellectual or physical disability. And so you are right when it comes to me and you, but you are not right when it comes to uh, my child and others like him. So I need you to listen to me now. Because I've learned something about what they're capable. I just need you to modify your approach a little bit. Not that he can't learn or succeed. It's just that he learns and succeeds differently. So we're going to make slight modifications and allowances for him in order to succeed. 
And we hope that we can do that for other parents like us and other kids like him uh, and really educate other volunteers like Dan and others to say, look, I know you're an expert at what you do, but you've never done it with a child with Down syndrome. So, so let me give you some advice about them and let's blend what you know with what I know and create a scenario that works for, for them. And I think, you know, Dan touched upon it too, is, is we all have these preconceived notions and, and prejudices coming in where we're like, okay, this person, um, whether it's Down syndrome, whether it's anything, um, you say, oh, this person can do this. Um, and kind of shattering that to say, hey, meet the person first. What Take me back. One of my last questions is, you know, where did this, tell our readers where this started. Um, you know, when you met Dan, you, you were in a, you know, I guess it's his gym or something and you were looking for someone for a triathlon um, for Chris. When did that start? When did you have that moment where you're like, oh, you know, this is something that, you know, we, we want as a family? Sure. So, uh, so Chris started uh, in 2018 uh, with the Special Olympics Triathlon, and he had a, a guide named Simone. She's absolutely a wonderful sweetheart, and she started doing the sprint with him, and Simone was by far much better than him. Uh, and Chris was just progressing slowly. And then about a year or so into it, at the state championships last year, in 2019, about this time, Chris just went past Simone, blew her away on the bike. She couldn't keep up with him. So his progress started to pick up. All of a sudden, over a two or three month period, his, his acceleration was so much so that she couldn't keep up with him. And in Special Olympics, the guide is there to help the athlete. It's not about the athlete going off by themselves. So then we, we needed someone to take him to the next level who could keep up with him. And that's where we found Dan. And so Dan started working with him. And then last October, October 11th, you know, when he did a swim across Lucky Lake, uh, he crossed a thousand meter swim, which we never thought was possible. And on the wall, he wrote down Chris world champ. And that's when I looked at him and said, huh, that's interesting. And I took a picture of that. And I thought, I wonder if you can be a world champ in something. And then I thought at the time we had only done a sprint triathlon, like a, a 12 mile. I said, I wonder if you can do something that's never been done. And so we started brainstorming and, that's where the idea of doing an Ironman, literally it was a year ago, you know, like last week, we said, hey, why don't we go try an Ironman? And he said, okay. And we just like set a goal and that's where it all started. And then we kind of joined him at that point in time and they started training and, and we sat down with his coach Hector and said, look, we need a plan for how he can go from zero to, or from sprint to Ironman in one year. And he said, look, people with all kinds of abilities can barely do that. He can't do that. And there was the, the language again, he can't. Why? Because he has Down syndrome. I said, don't say that to my son. Don't tell him he can't do something. It's like, just give me a plan as if he was anybody else. And so we got a plan. And, and you know what? He's, he's passed every test with flying colors. He has done everything none of us thought he could do. And that leads me to my final question is, how does it feel one week away um, from, from the attempt? What's, what's the excitement like? What do you guys, um, what's, what's, what do you, what's the feelings right now? How do you feel, buddy, about being one week away from Iron Man? Okay. I know you're tired because you haven't eaten all day, but stand up and talk. <laughs> Just the last question. I know you're tired. Last one. He's wiped out. He started I'm to sure that this is so different through Zoom. Of course. I was um, excited. But what, what's going to happen at Iron Man next week? You know what's going to happen. Big party. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about it all the time. Oh. <laughs> Tell the man what you're going to do when you're, when you're finished. Go to nightclub. Uh, have a six pack crawler and <laughs> all those smoking hot blondes. What are all the smoking hot blondes gonna do? 
Dance with me. Dance with you. Have dinner with me. Have dinner with you. Romantic with me. Hey, stop the romantic stuff. That sounds like the best party ever. The Enfuego podcast is edited by Dylan Wren. I'm your host, Gabe Zaldivar. If you like what you hear, smack that subscribe button, download the episode, or share it with your friends. These are the stories that need to be heard, and we appreciate the support. Next week, we bring you another story that'll make you smile. 